What exactly do highly successful, purpose-driven CEOs and entrepreneurs actually do? The CEO role is one of the most mysterious positions in business, and a purpose-driven CEO is a different breed entirely. I know because I coach purpose-driven CEOs. My job gives me a unique behind-the-scenes vantage point into their world. For years, I've wished there was a way I could share the stories I hear, the risky calls, the big wins, and the big, big courage of these unique leaders because they have so much to offer anyone who's leading a business or anyone who wants to lead a purpose-driven life. This is the inspiration for the Good Company Podcast. If you want to be more productive, attract the best people, and achieve more positive impact, stay with us. I'm Barbara Shannon, your host, and you are in good company. I'm delighted today to welcome you, Brian Ionesco, social venture, serial entrepreneur, and founder of New Kitchen. I love that. You describe yourself as a social venture serial entrepreneur. Can you tell us what that is? Great question. I didn't immediately think of myself as a social venture entrepreneur. I think it evolved as I launched my first business about 15 years ago, New Kitchen. I wanted to help people. I wanted to help people transform, move to a healthier place. Just looking at my own life where nutrition took a backseat to active living, I knew that I could do a little bit more. And, and, and that was the seed that ultimately helped me recognize that my reason, my wife for wanting to start a business was motivated by not just helping people move to the next level, but trying to do that in the context of business and how we could create something meaningful and enduring for the long term. New Kitchen was really the pioneering online direct-to-consumer meal delivery model. Today, they're fairly ubiquitous, whether it's a meal kit solution or a weight loss solution. We were really the first, if not the first, I believe we're the first because we got some IP around an online order management system, customizing a program, a nutrition program that was right for you, and then preparing meals and then delivering them directly to your door. About six years in, we did sell the business to Nutrisystem in a uh, decent transaction with the goal of helping them evolve their business model into providing a fresh food solution to their customer base. You could have left the social venture part of that experience at that point, but you're still describing yourself as a social venture entrepreneur, so obviously you haven't. So, you know, tell us how that's now evolved and what you're up to today. Uh, yeah, I still wouldn't have said back in 2009 that I was a social venture entrepreneur. I was mission-minded. I wanted to help people transform. But it was really at that moment after we sold that business that I really wanted to commit to helping people in a more meaningful way and co-founded a nonprofit start out to help early-stage entrepreneurs focused on the LGBTQ community at the time, but uh, has since expanded that reach to anyone who I feel has been left behind in, in this whole path to entrepreneurship, whether it's people of color, people in low-income neighborhoods who may not have access to the resources, to either the top-tier schools or programming or even funding to help them get going. 
my mission in that world was to share what I learned about launching, starting, growing, and selling a business and codifying that and helping people of all stripes get going. And I think it was at that moment between 2009 and 2014 that I would have said, okay, now I've become a purpose-driven entrepreneur. I want to make sure that everything I do, I help advise on, I co-found, or I help launch, that there is some social purpose that could solve a problem, but also be in the context of a for-profit business. I think while I think nonprofits should exist and for-profits should exist, I do think that for-profits should exist with a purpose, especially in today's environment. Every day that goes by, I am convinced that the, that the business of today and certainly tomorrow has to be connected to something that hits your core. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I'm so with you on that. So bring us to now and yeah. what you're currently working on and don't pass over Sparks and Honey because I know you're doing something that we're going to be involved in. I'm going to be minimally involved in with you around yeah. Entrepreneur Magazine, yeah. but also Sparks and Honey is amazing and super yeah. important. And yeah, share what that's, what's up with those two. Yeah, uh, I'll focus on, on, on three things. As an yeah. uh, entrepreneur, uh, I'm excited and I've got my hands in a lot of different pots. I've been advising multiple people for several years. And about three years ago, I connected with Michael Loeb, a very successful entrepreneur who's had multiple billion-dollar-plus success, successes, starting with Priceline.com and moving into multiple industries, disrupting online publishing, disrupting healthcare. I'm very fortunate to be part of, of, of him and Rich Vogel, his co-founder, their world. And they're backing two, two startups that I'm involved with. And before I get to those, I'll talk about Sparks and Honey, which you mentioned. Yeah. Sparks and Honey is a, think of it as a, a think tank. They understand and unpack what's happening in culture to help predict the future, but also help businesses unpack these emerging cultural trends so they can de de devise products and services that people are going to want to consume. Mm -hmm. They work with the government as well. I know they've done work with DARPA. They've done work with Pepsi, where that's how Ingenui, the then CEO of Pepsi, really loved what Sparks and Honey was doing and, and their approach to helping unpack major business problems. As a matter of fact, she implemented a, a three-pronged platform to reposition Pepsi for the long term. And frankly, under her realm, she grew that business from about $35 billion to $70 billion in revenue and yeah. really focused on products that are you know, fun for you, good for you, better for you, and really made that diversification away from, from just beverages into different snack groups. I, I tremendously admire her. And once she stepped down from Pepsi, she joined the board at Sparks and Honey. So I'm honored, privileged wow. to be a part of that. And what I like about that is it helps inform a lot of the decisions I make in terms of launching new businesses, trying to figure out where we want to play and who we want to play with in terms of big business. Because every big business today especially during this environment that we're living in, is trying to figure out how we live in the new normal. 
And so a company like Sparks and Honey can really help advise and guide them on what that might look like. And I, as a startup entrepreneur, are helping businesses come up with models that can help navigate that and come up with a solution that's right for that particular business. I think there's a nice hand in hand. And so I play a valuable role with helping Sparks and Honey advise where new business model innovation is uh, required. That's great. Yeah, Indra Nuri has been a role model of mine for, I think, for every woman. You know, she's one of the first big enterprise CEOs. Remarkable person. I've had her on my vision board, I think, five years ago in terms of somebody I admired and loved her leadership style, her approach. Little did I know that within a few years, she would be in my my orbit, which now leads to Michael Loeb and Rich Vogel and the backing of my two uh, latest, well, really my my latest venture, Numbelievable, which you mentioned. It's a mission-based fake good business that's backed by him and Idea Lab. And the goal there is simple, creating a better for you, delicious fake good. We started with a line of cookies and for everyone we sell, we provide proceeds to provide a meal to someone in need with one of our partners soup kitchen. And the second part of that is working with soup kitchens and food pantries and nonprofits that are also working on the back end to help transition people out of the soup kitchen. Your experience growing up is something very fundamental to your social consciousness and the nature of these businesses. Share a little bit about that. Well, I grew up in Wisconsin on the south side of Milwaukee from a very working class family. My parents divorced when I was quite young. And I think that experience of living in a housing project for the first 15 years of my life really helped shape and inform how I was to navigate life. I had a good childhood. Uh, I didn't have any other point of reference. But as I moved into my teen and college years, I quickly realized all the other things people had, and, and not just material things, but just in terms of expansion, opportunity, ability to tap into what your potential could be. And, and I realized as I got into college that the world is my oyster. Anything can happen. And I was so eager and excited. But my earlier years were really, I'd like to say, focused on grit, resourcefulness, and independence. And those helped inform how I navigated my later years in life. So take us to what you're focusing on right now. I, for lost count, I think you had yeah, three uh, ventures. Have we covered there, one or uh, two? <laughs> there, uh, <laughs> the GROW, which is how we've connected, is really a mission-based business to help entrepreneurs get going. There's a free tool available to help you assess and validate your idea. So if you've got something, Barbara, lurking in the back <laughs> of your head that you think might make a great business, and I think you do, this might be a great platform uh-huh. to just vet and evaluate that idea that's free. And so as part of my mission to help entrepreneurs get going and to increase the startup success rate in this country, I want to make sure that you start out on the right foot and start up smart. That is the third pot of, of activity that I have been working on. Sparks and Honey is, a, is an advisory role as a board member. I'm, I'm the CEO of Unbelievable. And now I have this mission-based 
startup hub, if you will, to help successful to help entrepreneurs start up successfully. What's the connection to Entrepreneur Magazine? Yeah, so Entrepreneur found out about what we were doing, and as the how does one describe Entrepreneur? They are the name. Not that they have Entrepreneur.com. If that wasn't enough, but they really are the established name in entrepreneurship. So anyone who's thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, who is an entrepreneur, who's looking to grow and scale a business, is really looking to them for thought leadership. Yep. And and they really own that space. And when they approach me about saying, "Hey, can we use some of the technology that you've built?" to offer our startup course, the Start Your Own Business course, I, of course, said, yeah, I think that will be a fantastic opportunity to leverage a technology that I built that could get widespread distribution in a channel that is renowned as a thought leader for entrepreneurship. Educate us. How do you think about business models, and how did you come upon the right one for Nunbelievable? Well, I think, again, looking back at Sparks and Honey, if I see what is trending, what is future, we all understand that working from home, remote models, online models, we're, we're notching up and becoming a more important part of our lives. COVID-19 accelerated that, I think, by 10 years. And so these trends were already in place and it was already going to happen. We were just going to do it over a more gradual period of time. And so when I look at business models or how businesses operate, I like to think about how can we leverage technology to enhance the customer experience, to enhance how the brand engages with users. And that's a very important element. And so there's so much opportunity to really, I don't care if you're a hairdresser or you're a big brand that's out there, Lululemon, Pepsi, Technology can really facilitate that engagement and help you create a stickiness and a resonance. And so I think about all of these factors whenever I engage in launching a business or helping advise a brand on what's new and what's next. So it starts with a lot of the input that I'm able to gather from Sparks and Honey and then translate that into an actionable plan. And in this case, with, with Loeb and Idea Lab the idea of feeding those in need and really solving a problem, I wanted to figure out how can we do it in a profitable way. So I just, you know, put some numbers together, looked at companies like Bombas, Tom Shoes, other companies that have already paved the way for this kind of model. And frankly, this is the model of the future. I said it a little earlier that the business of tomorrow really has to think about a purpose. There has to be an impact because if you want employees to be working for you, if you want yes. commitment, loyalty, dedication, hard work, you want to make sure you're tapping into to, to their core. Millennials in particular, this is something that we know that they want. Mm -hmm. And so companies that can offer that are far better positioned for success. And then you look at the consumer. Consumers are also looking for this because, yes, while we're looking for value many times, a sale is not often, I don't miss sales a lot of times because you know, it's important. But at the same time, to know that your dollar has impact, your dollar has purpose, mm -hmm. that's very valuable. And knowing that the business is associated with a particular, it doesn't have to be a cause or a nonprofit, but it should be doing something to better the world, the planet, 
people, our carbon footprints. There's a whole host of areas that we can touch upon that are important to all of us. I can guarantee you there's some element that's important to us that will tap into our why. And if I can find out your why, Barbara, and bring you into my fold, we're going to have a much stronger relationship. I think that's where our connection really began, was uh, yeah. our first yeah. our first phone call, realizing that we share some very similar whys. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really something, and you've mentioned, especially now, the world we're in today several times. We're recording this right now in the midst of COVID-19. Most yeah. everybody is still under a shelter-in-place order. It's very easy. You know, I, I coach... CEOs and entrepreneurs, mostly of mid-market companies, but you know, even there in a, you know a post-C round business, there's a lot of. I think to be an entrepreneur is to be someone who is comfortable living with fear, you know, mm-hmm. having fear and going anyway. And I wonder how you handle when anxiety and fear show up for you. And I imagine with your ventures that are underway right now, you're living in the same challenging environment. And it is challenging. Even the divisive politics that we're in, the incredible polarization is more than a distraction. I mean, if anyone with a heart and some feelings has to find a way to separate and divorce or just channel you know, your focus, it's not an easy time to be running a business today. And I wonder if you have any advice or thoughts about how you manage anxiety and fear when they come up for you. Great question, and, and I think it all starts with fear, fear and love. Those are really the two primal emotions that I believe everything ladders up to. And if you're operating from a place of fear, you are going to make poor decisions. You are not going to operate from a place of growth and expansion. The very nature of fear is contraction. The very nature of fear and anxiety are to really go back to your primordial self and, and to, you know, it's a fight or flight mode. And there's a reason why that instinct exists in us from prehistoric times. But today, unless we are truly in a fight or flight situation, we need to remove ourselves from that way of thinking. And as a human, we're always subject to that. And I understand that. But being aware of when you're in a fearful state, a place of anxiety, to do things to say, okay, what do I need to do to get out of the state so I can find equanimity, calmness? I may not be in the happiest state, but if I'm in a state of equanimity or calmness, I promise you I can make better decisions, I'll have more clarity, and I'll be able to think about growth and expansion opportunities because in the midst of chaos, in any chaotic situation, there's going to be some opportunities somewhere. Specific things that I do to uh, lessen anxiety, to remove that, there, there, there are many things that people can do. For me, I meditate. Hmm. Almost every morning, I meditate. And I have to tell you, getting up, for me, getting up early in the morning as the sun is rising is a very, very powerful time of the day where I find the most intense clarity. At least that's where I can find it. And by having those moments alone without the distractions of outdoor life, traffic, family, I have a six-year-old son, 
I am able to start the day off in a very tranquil, calm place and ready to face what challenges may lie ahead during the day. Many great things happen during the day, many terrible things happen, but I can choose how I react to them. And no matter how bad they may be, if I'm in a calm place, I can take a deep breath, I can react, I can digest, absorb, and process in a more critical way and really try to make the, the best decision possible at that moment. Number two, I like to be physically active. You know, whether it's taking a 30-minute run, and that's all I'm about good for, <laughs> is 30 minutes, but that's enough to get your, your heart elevated, to move your muscles, get the blood flowing, and inevitably, I'm not sure about you, but I always feel better after I have a workout. Oh, I'm, so, I'm totally, in, you know, workout endorphin dependent. Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly, and that achieves something similar. So when you, you meditate, you almost come out of a bet, you feel... No matter how you went into it, you almost always feel better coming out of it. And the same with working out. Have you ever regretted working out? No. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, that's, so that's number two. And then number three are just make healthier eating decisions. I follow an 80-20 rule. As a, an admitted sugar addict, <laughs> I, I really have to control my cravings. When something really, really amazing happens, I want cheesecake. When something really, really bad happens, I want cheesecake. So, um, uh, and, I, and I actually bake a great cheesecake as well. But the point is, is to really minimize the times I indulge. I think eliminating it is, is not necessarily a good thing, but we really do need to minimize eating you know, overly processed food, a lot of sugar. So following the 80-20 rule still gives you some latitude to engage in some of those vice foods that you may love. But if 80% of what you eat is clean, healthy, fresh vegetables, yeah. low in saturated fat, plant-based if possible, fish, you're going to be in such a better place. You're fueling your mind and body with healthful ingredients and, and giving your body the nutrients it needs to thrive, to survive, to, to grow. So really, meditation, exercise, and healthy eating, it's a simple... It does come down effort. to that, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. My role has to be a little more draconian because yeah. my addiction is pretty acute. Yeah. So I can't bring anything into the house. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't buy it. And then if I'm going to indulge in sugar, it has to be something really awesome. Yeah, so I, you know, I it, it, they've got to be great cookies. But you understand, you understand your what you need to do, and I'm the same way. So I don't bring it to the house. But as a baker, foodie, I do try a lot, and I will not throw it out what I've done. So I give <laughs> it away, and I will sample. But you know, other things that are important, obviously, drinking a lot of water and getting a good night's sleep. So if you're exercising, eating well, you're going to help yourself sleep a little bit better drinking water keeps you hydrated and keeps you in optimal shape so really those are simple simple actions that you can take to to really move forward great advice not so easy to do but it means we can't hear that enough so right this question is a not a trick question but it's kind of a typical question but so yeah. important and I'd, I'd really love your thought on it which is if you had to pick just one thing that is the sort of key to success for entrepreneurs, what would you pick? Headspace. 
headspace. You have to be in the right headspace. I know everyone will say everything from you've got to have the funding, you've got to have a great idea, you've got to have a great team, you have to have experience. All those are important factors and elements. But at the end of the day, it has to start with you and your headspace. Because as an entrepreneur, whether you're part of an early stage team, you're at a big mid-sized, mid-corporate or large corporate entity, and you're responsible for coming up with something new or innovative and implementing it, executing and managing it, you're going to hit a lot of walls. It's going to be easy to quit. <laughs> and if your headspace is negative or you're not sure, not able to do it, and you're not excited about doing it, you're setting yourself up for failure. Maybe I can share with you an experience we touched on it in an earlier conversation, but I think it might highlight a little bit more about the headspace in a practical application. I was at a very low point with New Kitchen, the first company that I founded, co-founded. And I remember we were generating revenue. We had probably over a million dollars in revenue, but we were losing money. And we didn't quite hit that place in our growth curve where we were break-even, let alone profitable, but we were trending, everything was trending up. We were getting great reviews from customers and clients, but we weren't generating enough money. And I remember not being able to make payroll. And I started liquidating my 401k, which I don't recommend people do. I was living in a rent-stabilized apartment, and I, and I I wasn't sure how I was going to be able to continue going with the business. And I remember I took a couple of days away from work to try to think about it, but I was alone in a dark rent-stabilized apartment near the Port Authority in New York. <laughs> Nothing inspiring about that. And, of yeah. course, left to fester all by myself. I was going down this deep, dark hole, spiral. It was very negative. And I was thinking at that moment, do I call friends and investors? And I say, hey, I'm really in a bad place. I'm really dark. I can't make money for payroll. And Barbara, will you just give me $50,000? I just, you know, I, I, I got to make payroll. I've got to help get this business going. And I'm, I'm you know, in this rent stable's apartment and there's mold on the ceilings. Everything's falling off the wall. And you're just like, oh my God. And in your head, you're just like, wow. But... I was able to, if you take the other side of that story and forget all the bad shit that was actually happening and focus on what actually positive and great was happening, we had founded a million dollar plus business that was gaining traction, that was personalized nutrition, the first of its kind in the marketplace. Sarah Jessica Parker, was <laughs> she was an early client and we had a lot of celebrities on it. We just needed an additional investment to help us scale this business and to grow it into profitability. And when we think about, now if I came to you, Barbara, at this moment saying, hey, Barbara, we've got this great business that's growing. You know, we've doubled revenue year over year and we've got traction. Here, try some of the food. Isn't it delicious? How could you not want to be a part of it? Now, that is exactly the same situation as the negative downside. I mean, I'm still in a dark place. I'm still 
still short on cash. I was still in a rent stabilized apartment with mold on the walls. But which which story do you resonate with? Which story do you want to connect with? They're they're contrasting truths, but they're both truths. And so the point I'm trying to make is I'm not sugarcoating the negative. It's focusing on what is going to drive this business forward. Because if you're in a place of negativity and you're focused on everything that's going wrong, you're never going to move to a place where things can go right. Absolutely right. It's such a great example that sometimes we have to look, but you know, the silver lining is always there. Some people are better at finding it than others, and you know, that's just a phenomenal story and an example. Of- well, it ends well because six months later, when I was able to come out of that spiral, that's where I discovered meditation, yoga. Not everyone looks to self-help speakers or gurus, but I found that people from Tony Robbins and Wayne Dyer were great at helping me get out of that negative headspace into a positive headspace. I joined the EO organization, Entrepreneurs Organization, mm-hmm. Community of Like-Minded Entrepreneurs. I then figured out what I needed to do within six months. I was able to raise uh, $2 million in, in venture funding to get the business to next. And that set us up for scalability, which all ultimately helped us sell the business to Nutrisystem two years after that. What's your view of the role of money, greed, and capitalism? Yeah, I, I, I believe capitalism has been an incredible experience. And I do believe it's part of our evolutionary cycle for how we help unlock you know, value potential. And I think as we get smarter and recognize the worth and dignity of of people, of our experiences, of energy, we'll be able to better reflect that value more holistically. I think up until now, it's been solely based on that dollar, on the greenback. And while I do think we have to manage to that medium, I do think it's not exclusive or separate from doing good. Here we are in this polarized political environment. How do you see the intersection? Is there an appropriate intersection of business and politics? Companies, you're serving all types of customers from all stripes. And if you start to segment your customers by Democrats and Republicans, I don't necessarily think that's an appropriate way to think about it. I think you have to consider the issues that are important for you which can translate to the business. And when I say issues, issues that can help your business grow, help your employees grow, and and help you produce better quality products and services. And I think coming at it from that perspective, you may attract more or less of one party, but it shouldn't be driven by politics. And, And frankly, Yes, there has been a rise in bitter partisan rhetoric and more populist statements, but our country isn't new to that. After George Washington died, I think partisanship really started, uh, that, that became the norm in political life. And you look at any period in American history, whether it's the Civil War, the last pandemic in 1918, even the, the Great Depression, which started with the stock market crash in 1929, you can look at all these moments and look at the bitter partisan divides. And, and what I personally see as a path forward is understanding that there are different perspectives. 
whether you agree personally or not with them, fundamentally, there's more that unites and divides. And I think really holding or understanding what the positions are for your business and then holding elected officials accountable to helping with that. I don't care if they're Democrat or Republican. I mean, my district where I live is served by both Democrats and Republicans, and I will send them the same emails if there is an issue that I care about just to put it on their radar so they know, as opposed to saying, oh, that person's a Democrat. They're not going to care about this. You know, or they're they're beholden to whatever constituency, and the same for Republicans. I'm not going to reach out to that person because that is exactly the wrong attitude, and that isn't going to help us move forward. What will help us move forward is finding, recognizing their different perspectives, recognizing the worth and dignity of of everybody, of every walk of life, every stripe. And then just really understanding how we can build bridges, because that's important. I think as a CEO, as a leader, we have a a role not to necessarily be apolitical. I think it's all important to be part of the process, but to not, we want to recognize the worth and dignity of every person. And so naturally, if I'm a Democrat, I'm not going to come up and say, hey, I'm a Democrat. I only want Democrats working for me. That's wrong. I, I, I don't want that. And I think we need to take our role as a leader very seriously and almost take an apolitical stance from that perspective and, you know, just focus on the issues that are important to the business and step out, write letters, write emails and gather your coalition of support. And you're going to find support on both sides for many issues. Obviously, there's a few hot button issues, but those really won't apply to 99.9% of our businesses, to be honest. Right. Great. Well, it's been truly, really an honor to have this chat with you today. I think all our listeners have gained a great deal from your wisdom and your insights, your humor, your humanity. And I look forward to continuing our conversation in the future in any realm that it might occur. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, let's build great businesses together. Deal. I'm with you. Let's do it. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Huge thanks to Brian Ionesco for this inspiring conversation about the passion, purpose, and the focus it takes to succeed as a values-driven founder, entrepreneur, and CEO. To follow Brian, you'll find him at go.academy.com, which is where you should go if you want to learn how to turn your great idea into a business. You can also find Brian on LinkedIn at LinkedIn forward slash Brian Ionesco. That's Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, Ionesco, J-A-N-E-C-Z-K-O. And on Instagram at Instagram.com forward slash Brian Ionesco. If you like what you're hearing, you'll find all the Good Company podcast recordings on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. If you're curious about working with me, send me an email, barbara at shannon-solutions.com. This episode and all the Good Company podcasts are produced with the help from the amazing team at Resonate Recordings. Till next time, stay strong and carry on. I'm Barbara Shannon, and you've been listening to the Good Company Podcast. Podcast.